feet. Why don't we begin to lift our hands and love the Lord together. Can we bless Him in this place? Come on, can we bless Him together in this place? He's worthy. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Welcome to the Church of Omaha. We're glad you're here. If you're joining us online, welcome. Amen. In Jesus' name. While you're standing, let's go to the word of the Lord. Psalm 105. And I'm going to read just a portion of this as we dive into the word of the Lord today. Amen. How many of you know God's good? And all the time. God is good. The word of the Lord says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the earth, excuse me, let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember His marvelous works which He has done, His wonders and judgments of His mouth. O seed of Abraham, His servant, you children of Jacob, His chosen ones, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. With the help of the Lord, I want to minister on this thought today, the promised seed. Praise God. Let us pray together. Lord, You are the living Word. And now I pray that you would preach the written word, making my tongue the pen of a ready writer. Open our understanding that we might comprehend the scripture. Cause every hindrance to be rebuked and cast out. Cause every thought to be brought captive to the obedience of Christ. Cause us to be convicted and converted by your love and through your truth. And we pray this and believe this and expect this in the name of Jesus Christ. Would you say amen? And would you clap your hands one more time and bless him. Hallelujah. Praise God. The Lord bless you. You can be seated. I want to just open by sharing with you that Psalm 105 is a reminder that God cannot lie. Amen. Titus 1-2 specifically says that. It also reminds us that God never fails. This is recorded in Zephaniah 3.5. This psalm, Psalm 105, specifically reminds us that God's covenant is everlasting. Praise God. It has 45 verses and throughout all of them the faithfulness of God is showcased for all to see despite Israel's sin. Regardless of wicked oppressors, God's Covenant continued to remain true. This is why the New Living Translation translates Proverbs 30 verse 5 to say, every word of God proves true. Looking over the history of the word of God, you will never find a time when God did not keep his promise. I'm going to say that again. Looking over the history of the Word of God, you will never find a time when God did not keep His promise. Again, God cannot lie. And He never fails. 
The 105th psalmist encourages us to recall all that God has done because since God did it before, guess what? He can do it again. Hallelujah. How many of you have found that to be true? Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder if we could just have a, a praise break for a moment uh, as we begin to think back of all that God has done. Uh, I wonder, is there anybody here that's been filled with the Holy Ghost? Uh, is there anybody that's ever been healed uh, in their body? Has anybody ever had God provide for you financially? Oh, hallelujah. Has anybody had their emotional heart healed and that broken heart healed by God? You have a right to praise Him. Hallelujah. We can remember His marvelous works and glory in His holy name. Or as I would say it if I'd have written the psalm, glory in His holy name. <laughs> the response of praise that just happened here and hopefully those of you online is exactly what this psalm is meant to do. Its purpose was to cause Israel to remember that all the promises of God are in Him, yea, and in Him, amen. Hallelujah. You know, I've had a lot of people fail me. I've had a lot of people let me down. I've been let down by the government before. I've had money fail me. Come on, I've had friends betray me. But not one time. Not one time. My mom used to sing a song, and, 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 and part of it said something to the effect that if, if you begin to write down every time God's failed you, at the end of your book, it would be nothing but empty pages. Amen. He never fails. He never forsakes. And he cannot lie. It is impossible for him to lie. And when I begin to look back and think about all he's done, you see, maybe that's the point. Maybe we need to get our minds off of this world. Oh, hallelujah. And get our minds on the Lord. Mm. The 105th Psalm is written to remind Israel that God had never abandoned them. Even though they had sinned and rejected Him. He never forsook them. It covers the history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob leading up to the eventual famine that would bring Jacob to Egypt. It talks of Joseph who had been sent on before and to provide for them. It talks about Pharaoh's heart turning and God being sent, or excuse me, God sending Moses rather to bring them out. Because how many of you know if God brings you to it, He'll bring you through it. <laughs> but there's something unique about Psalm 105. It mentions Moses and the deliverance from Egypt. It mentions the 40-year trek in the wilderness because of their unbelief. And it goes from there into the promised land and once again reminds us of the covenant God made with Abraham. But it skips over the giving of the law. Now, one might argue... And, and if scholars were here today, there might be a debate going on of, well, it's implicitly uh, spoken since Moses is referred to in Egypt and the wilderness trek. Well, of course the law. And 
I would not necessarily disagree with you, but explicitly there's no mention of the law. Yet, three times in Psalm 105, Abraham is mentioned and the covenant of Abraham. So, why was the law missing? And I believe God has spoke to my heart today to share some things with you as a result of why the law was missing. Let me first take you to the book of John, chapter 1, verse 17, where the Bible says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. How about Romans 10, 4, where it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, excuse me, beginning at verse 6. <clears throat> who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter, that's referring to the law. For the law kills, but the Spirit, that's referring to the new covenant. But the new covenant gives life. Verse 7 gets even more explicit. But if the ministry of death, that's the law, Written and engraved on stone was glorious. Do you know when the law was first given, 3,000 people died? <laughs> Isn't it interesting that when grace was given, 3,000 were born again? We just celebrated Pentecost Sunday. The week before, we had 15 get the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I woke up last Monday morning to reports of 1,083 in Wisconsin getting the Holy Ghost and 616 in California getting the Holy Ghost and 400 and some odd in Bangladesh getting the Holy Ghost. Amen. All in one day, all in one service. Pentecost has fully come, but fully, Pentecost ain't fully over yet. Hallelujah. But if, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stone was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. In other words, the law was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious if the ministry of death was glorious and beautiful and wonderful and it was passing away even though it was given. In other words, it came with an expiration date and the expiration date was pointing to Christ. How much more then is the ministry of life? I believe that's one of the main reasons why it's not recorded in the 105th Psalm. But let's keep reading. This is kind of a Bible study. I like to treat. Is that okay? Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, who? Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we love to preach that. We love to quote, quote that. We love to declare that. But did you read the next verse? And you are complete in Him. Who is the head of all principality and power? In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Did you know Moses prophesied that in the law? That a prophet would come and circumcise the hearts of his people? If you understand circumcision in the medical reality of a heart, you can't circumcise a heart and live. So he's speaking metaphorically. <laughs> and the prophet that came was Jesus Christ. And now Paul's just linking it together and saying, yep, it happened. He was the one. 
And then he tells us what the New Testament circumcision is. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together, having forgiven you all trespasses. Can somebody thank God for being forgiven for every sin you committed, for every transgression, for every iniquity, for every trespass? I'm glad God didn't get out the book and say, well, I'll forgive you of 99.9% of them, but this one I'm not forgiving you. Uh-uh. When I repented, when I asked him to forgive me, he forgave me of all trespasses. But that ain't all. He wiped out the handwriting of requirement that was against us. That was the law. He ended it. He fulfilled it. And it was contrary. And he took it out, nailing it to his cross. Verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding festival or new moon or Sabbaths. All of those phrases are about the law. It's been fulfilled. Verse 17, which are those things, every one of them, the law, watch what it is. Verse 17, are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. What that means is when Christ comes, you no longer lead the shadow. When the fulfillment came, the shadow was complete. Its purpose had been fulfilled. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets, but I came to fulfill. Oh, hallelujah. It's going to get really explicit here in a minute. Hebrews 7, 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. Now, if that ain't plain enough, I can almost hear Everett on the front row saying, make it plain. If that ain't plain enough, I don't know what is. Verse, uh, look at Hebrews 8, 13. In that he says a new covenant, he made the first obsolete. It's the law. Verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never. Remember how I said God never fails? That's Zephaniah 3.5, right? That's an absolute. God cannot lie. That's an absolute. Equally, the law can never, with the same sacrifices which are offered continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. So if the law cannot work, and it was never meant to make anyone perfect but to point to something, then when the something comes... We no longer lead the law. I, I, I know you probably understand this, and I'm not trying to belabor the point, but I want you to get this because unlike you, I know my notes. I know where I'm going, so just stay with me on this train, y'all. <clears throat> Each of these passages I just read clearly state that the law was a temporary covenant, which is one of the main reasons, I believe, that God kept the psalmist from referring to it. So if the law was temporary, what then was its purpose? It's a great question. Paul asks it and answers it in Galatians 3. 
19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions until the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. The law was a temporary covenant to get Israel back on track to point them to Christ. So much so that in Romans 10, 4 in the complete Jewish Bible, it says for the goal at which the law aimed was Christ. Meaning that when Christ came, the law was fulfilled. Hallelujah. So it was added because of sin, transgressions, but never meant to be a permanent way of practicing faith. It was only a shadow of things to come. In Galatians 3.13 it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Hallelujah. Check out Galatians 3.16. Now to Abraham... And his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. Now, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that Abraham gets told by God that his promised seed is going to be Christ? Yes, that's what I'm telling you. Because John chapter 8 says the same thing. Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And if you read Genesis 22, where Abraham and his son Isaac have reached the mountain. And he says to the servants, y'all stay here. The lad and I go yonder to worship. You see a perfect picture of Christ. (laughs) I believe it was on that day that he saw the promised seed. Mm-mm-mm-mm. So you're probably starting to pick up on why I titled this message, The Promised Seed. But first, let me remind you that Psalm 105 calls Israel to remember God's greatness and goodness. Taking them through some of their history and highlighting and bullet pointing some of the main events. In fact, I recommend you read through it all. And if this were a different type of Bible study, I might go a little bit more in depth in the history of that. But I feel God leading me somewhere else. But, but there's beautiful uh, 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 history rich here that confirms other parts of Scripture. But specifically, Abraham is mentioned in chapter six, or verse 6, verse 9, and 42, referencing the covenant God made with him. It was implicit in verse 6 and explicit in verse 9 and verse 42. So since we know that the promised seed of Abraham is Christ, and we know that the law came to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, the Bible says, hallelujah, then how many of you are thankful that Jesus came? Mm -hmm. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The Bible says in Galatians 3, and Brother Samuel, I'm going to drop down to to verse 24. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. 
But after faith has come, we no longer need a tutor or under a tutor. In other words, we no longer need the law. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Has anybody here been baptized in the name of Jesus? Then when you did, you put on Christ. Amen. How many of you anybody here received the gift of the Holy Spirit? When you did, Christ came in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Hallelujah. There is therefore neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Watch this. You are all one in Christ Jesus. You might make more money than me. You might be smarter and more educated than me. But in Christ, we are one. In Christ, we are united. Hallelujah. You might be a different ethnicity than me, but in Christ, we are one. Hallelujah. You might have been born somewhere else in another continent, but we are one in Christ. And would you look at verse 29? And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to... Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Watch this. Jesus Christ was the promised seed. Capital T, capital P, capital S. But when I get baptized in his name, and I take on Christ, and I get filled with His Spirit, and it's the hope of glory within me, I become the promised seed. Oh, thank you, Jesus. So I believe God anointed the 105th psalmist to prophetically point beyond the return of Israel to their homeland. Some of the psalms are about the exile and coming back. He, he pointed beyond the Assyrian and the Babylonian captivities and he looked to the time when Jesus Christ would come and fulfill the law and with his blood mediate a new covenant restoring that covenant that was made to Abraham because Galatians says that that covenant with Abraham cannot be annulled by the law. It was not a permanent covenant, but the covenant of Abraham was. Which, by the way, when Jesus calls Abram and further then establishes it with him two more times and once when he's Abraham, he says to him, I will make you the father of many nations, plural. The word there is the same that could be used for the word Gentile or heathen. In other words, he was saying this is not just going to be a Jewish body, but it's going to be a multi-ethnic body. Ah. And when Isaiah prophesied, he prophesied about the house of prayer that would be a house for all peoples, plural. In other words, the prophets understood it and, and the men and women of God understood it and they pointed ahead to it. And so I believe the 105th psalmist joined those great men and women of God to say, hey, there's a covenant that was given to Abraham and he is coming. He will be the promised seed. He will restore that covenant to us. Hallelujah. Here's what's interesting. Psalm 105 mentions Abraham three times. Abraham is only mentioned one more time in the entire Psalms. So 75% of the time, it's in this Psalm alone. Pointing to the promised seed. <laughs> my, 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 my. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, did you know that this is exactly 
what Daniel prophesied? Oh, yeah, Daniel joins the prophets in prophesying. Watch what he says in Daniel 9, 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. There's six things said specifically that this one who's coming will do. Well, Romans 10.4, Christ is the end of the law. I would say that Christ finished the transgression because if the law was given because of transgression and Christ is the end of the law and the law was given for transgression, then, then he's the end of transgression. How many of you know that in him you can live sin free? I'm not saying we do all the time. We're, we're imperfect. Just man falls seven times. But what I'm saying is, how many of you know that living for God now and having the Holy Ghost, it's a lot easier to overcome that sin than it was before when you didn't have him. So, so transgression and its power and its, its hold has been destroyed. Christ finished the transgression. Uh, okay, the next one is make an end of sins. Zechariah 3.9 says that, that when the Messiah comes, he will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. This is what's beautiful. When John saw Jesus on the shore, he did not say, Behold the Lamb of God, which rolls away the sin. Neither did he say, which rolls away for a nation, i.e. the Israelites. He said, behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So Christ made an end of sins. Ah. The third thing, Christ made reconciliation for iniquity. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Number four, Christ brought in everlasting righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For he, Christ, has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Well, so far we're four to six. And that's the majority, but I'm going to show you the other two Christ fulfilled as well. The, the fifth one, Christ sealed up the vision and prophecy. This points to Christ be, being the lamb. For when John sees the scrolls, and no one is able to unseal them. He weeps. But then John sees that the Lamb is the only one worthy to open the seals. That's in Revelation 5, 9 through 10. What this means is that Christ sealed up His judgment because mercy, James 2.13, triumphs over judgment. Because God delights in mercy. Because God would rather be merciful than He would be a judge. Oh, hear me in the Holy Ghost. And so he sealed up the prophecy, meaning he's the only one that can reopen it. He could have called down 10,000s of angels. He could have wiped them out and started all over. He did that with Noah. He could have done it again. He could have said, Israel, I'm tired of your whoredoms. I'm tired of you and all that you've done. I'm wiping you out and start. And there were times he told him, Moses, I'm going to wipe them out and start with you. So we know God at least had these thoughts and could have done it. But his mercy compelled him to seal up the prophecy. Say, I'm going to be merciful first and reserve judgment over here. Which means he's the only one that can then open it. 
Can I just pause right here on the Holy Ghost and tell you, that means you're not the judge. In fact, I normally turn around, but I'm going to take my glasses off and look at every one of you. You're not the judge. Christ alone is the judge. Period. If he seals up the prophecy, he's the only one that can unseal the prophecy. <laughs> Let him do his job. And let's just do ours. Okay. What about anointing the most holy? That's the sixth thing Daniel prophesies. Well, how many of you know that the tabernacle of Moses, the law, right, had furniture that needed to be anointed by the blood of a sacrifice? Well, do you know that Christ's blood anointed the most holy? Watch what Hebrews says. Chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ has not entered into holy places made with hands. That's the tabernacle. That's the law. Which are copies of the true. They're not the true. They're copies of. They're shadows of. They're pointing to something. You ever, you ever see a rendition? How many of you have been down around 72nd and, and Dodge area? Anybody been down there yet? A few of you? A couple of you? Some of you? Some of you are like, what? Where, where's 72nd Dodge? Well, it's Midtown. Anyway. Well, if you've been there, have you seen the signs that project what it's going to look like when they're done? Right? The little images that they draw out. Have you ever seen that where a business is coming very soon and you see this billboard and it has a glimpse of what it's going to look like? How many of you know that when the building is done, the sign is taken down? You don't need the sign anymore because you can see what it is. The law is the sign. Jesus is coming. This is just a copy. This is just an image. But once the Christ, the promised seed came, we can take the sign down. We can put it away because now we see that he, oh, hallelujah. Woo. But watch this. He's not entered into uh, places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Let me just pause here and tell you that in Hebrews, the Bible also tells us that when God brought Moses up on that mountain, he showed him the copies of the heavenly things, and he went back down and he made the copies. But he saw the heavenly things. Oh, I wish I had time to preach this. Lord have mercy. I think some of you preachers know what I'm talking about. It's just, it's that fire shut up in your bone. And you're like, man, the clock. And I wish I was like Joshua. Stop the clock right now. I could preach for like four hours and then let it open up again. You know, something like that. I mean, wouldn't that be great? Whew. Hallelujah. So what does he do here? Instead, verse 25, Christ does not enter or should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. It's Calvary. It's appointed a man wants to die after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once. You could just as easily insert and for all. Once and for all to bear the sins of many. It's once and for all time once and for all people, and once and for all sin. And to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time with, apart from sin for salvation. So we know Christ is the promised seed. But as I've already told you, we then who have him in us and on us are also the promised seed. And let me prove that. Romans chapter 9, verse 6. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. 
for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because of the seed of Abraham. In other words, just because they are uh, born and of that lineage doesn't mean they are the seed, the promised seed. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. Well, then who is? Well, I'm glad the rest of the verse says, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. That means when I receive the Holy Ghost, when I'm baptized in His name, I take in me and on me the promised seed, becoming and being counted for the seed. Well, also Galatians 3.29, if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed. How about Galatians chapter 6, uh, verse 15, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision, that's Judaism, that's the law, nor uncircumcision, that's Gentiles, that's, that's heathenism, avails anything. In other words, your ethnicity means nothing. Your lineage means nothing. But what does mean something? A new creation, which is why Jesus said to Nicodemus and to the world, you must be born again. I don't care if the homosexual claims that they were born this way. Good for you. You win that argument. But you must be born again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And as many as walk according to this rule, what rule? Being a new creation. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. That's a reference to you and me who are the Israel of God. 1 Peter 1. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition of your fathers. That's a reference to the law. You weren't born that way. When you were born again, that's not how you were born. But with the precious blood of Christ, verse 19, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who th through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Watch this. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So watch this. And by the way, this is the word which the gospel is preached to you. So if you're born again of this incorruptible seed called the word of God, which is the promise seed, because he's the word too, right? John 1, 1. And if the word lives forever, then what I, oh, this body may die. This temporary uh, uh, tent may perish, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. And I already have eternity dwelling within me. Watch this. 
You heard Brother Ryan Neer say this, and I'm going to borrow just a piece of what he said. Satan was so stupid that he put the seed on a tree. And he put the seed in a tomb in a garden. Not realizing that Jesus had said, if a seed dies and is buried in the ground. (laughs) But how many of you know he borrowed a tomb but bought the church? And the seed didn't stay in a tomb. Oh, that means the grave and death and hell has no authority. That means if he come up out of the grave, I'm going to come up out of the grave. Oh, this past weekend, we buried a godly man, Brother Joseph Gastineau. I don't know what the last sound he heard on this earth was, but I do know the next sound he's going to hear will be the trumpet sound of the Lord Jesus Christ. And although some kind of heart attack took his physical body, there's not a disease, there's not a virus that can take his spiritual soul. Why? Because the seed, the incorruptible seed of the Word of God lives and abides forever. Well, glory, somebody clap your hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the second half, they're going to sing a song. Part of it says this, you called my name. And I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. In part, that's talking about when we first received the Holy Ghost. And thank God for that. But there's coming a day as well. Hallelujah. If you're alive and remain, you'll be caught up together with Him. If you've died in the faith, you'll be the first to come up out of the ground. And what a day that will be. When my Jesus, I shall see. Oh, hallelujah. Have you ever met somebody that, that maybe was on a bucket list? You wanted to meet an author or a celebrity or something, and a president, whatever. You saw him, you're like, wow, you know, it's great and wonderful. And, uh, how many of you how many remember going to grandma's house? I always like to see grandma because grandma could flat cook like nobody's business. Have you seen those memes where grandma has an ugly face and, and it's because we're using air fryers? Anyway, never mind. But, but what I also liked about going to Grandma's house was Mom would only let me have one or two cookies after dinner. Grandma would let me have as many as I wanted before. So I love going to Grandma's house. Well, there's something about the exceeding abundant beauty of the Lord that I can't wait to get to His house. Now, I know I am his house, but watch this. I can't wait to worship with you, and, and I can't wait for that day when there'll be no more time, when there'll be no more death, when there'll be no more sorrow, when there'll be no more tears, but once and for all, the presence of God will be all we enjoy forever and ever 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 and ever. John said these words, the world passes away and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. Well, 
I can say that the will of God is the word of God because you're not going to ever find the will of God violating the word of God. So you could just as easily insert and say, he that does the word of God abides forever. Is the seed in you? If not, it can be today. If you've not repented of your sins and been baptized in his name and filled with his spirit, today is the day of salvation. If you're watching online, amen, today's your day of salvation. Praise God. Why don't we stand right now and thank the Lord for his salvation? Why don't we thank him that he is the promised seed and that we have that promised seed within us? Oh, hallelujah! Glory, glory, glory! As you take your break and come back, I want you to think on this. How will you live different now knowing that incorruptible seed has given you new life? Are you really going to worry about the election? Are you really going to worry about the economy? Are you really going to let the things of this world get you down? Or are you going to realize, you know what? (laughs) He found me. He saved me. He set me free. And I've got to tell somebody else because they too can be born again of incorruptible seed. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you in the second half.